Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 15 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Chad Knight, and alongside me is Lou Schwalbach. This week we'll be talking about songs dealing with or pertaining to traveling or being on the road. You know what kind of songs we're talking about. The ones where you, when you listen to them, you get the undeniable urge to crank down the window and just cruise. Feeling the wind blow through your hair as you make your way to your destination, be it near or far. Today, we'll be sampling some classic traveling songs which we've encountered that have stuck with us for one reason or another. They may not specifically say road or travel in them, but with a listen, you may just get the same feelings we get and understand where we're coming from. So put the top down and set the cruise control while we get this show on the road. All right, so Lou, how you been, man? Not too shabby. How about yourself? Hey, I can't complain too much. I'm going to go ahead and kick this one off if you don't have a problem with that. Go to town. All right, so I'm going to start with a song called Passenger. It's a song by Iggy Pop and uh, Ricky Gardner, uh, recorded and released by Iggy Pop on the Lust for Life album in 1977. It was also released as the B-side of the album's only single, Success. It was released as a single in its own right in March 1998, reaching the number 22 in the UK charts. Now, the lyrics were written by Iggy Pop, allegedly aboard Berlin's S-Bahn, have been interpreted as embodying the nomadic spirit of the punk outcast. Guitarist Ricky Gardner composed the music. The song is loosely based on a poem by Jim Morrison. Let's put this in your ear holes right now. Now, this song is just about being out and traveling around. It has a nice poppy sound, which is a little odd for Iggy Pop because he was more of a punk. Punk, I would say. Yeah, yeah. and it's fun to listen to. I, I think when I make my next mix CD, I know we talked about this on the last episode for driving. I think this song will be on it. Okay, yeah, I can understand so, that. So, what do you think, Lou? I Honestly, I was never really a huge Iggy Pop fan. Nor um, was I. It, he... I don't know. There's just something. He's definitely not a pretty person. Not saying that I don't listen to people who are ugly, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean, it's, it's the same thing with Neil Young. It's just like, oh god, that's hard to listen to. Yeah, you know? I mean, Iggy Pop, though he's mostly punk. This song always stood out to me. Now I heard this song in about 1998 for the first time. I obviously, you know, it's 1977. Though I was alive. It wasn't for long at that point. Right. But I find that Iggy Pop, though not normally my musical taste, I really like this song. It's an entertaining song, absolutely. Again, I'm not a huge fan of him, but at the same time, of the greatest hits, using finger quotes here, I would say this would definitely probably be on it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Not a whole lot to say about this one, so why don't we just jump into your next one? What do you got? All right. The next one, the first one I should say that I have is Convoy by C.W. McCall. That is a great song. I know it is, right? So this was released in 1975. It was released as sort of a protest novelty song around the time of fuel crisis of the 70s. This driving song tells a story about a few semi-truckers traveling together looking out for one, one another on the road. They helped each other out with distance, what's coming up on the road, and watching for bear, which is C C B slang for law enforcement officers. Correct. And more and more trucks join the ranks, and it becomes a huge convoy of semis led by the driver, who is known as Rubber Duck. Rubber Duck. So let's take a quick listen here. I says, Pig Pen, this here's a rubber duck, and I'm about to put the hammer down. of the song there's a ton of cb talker slang that is used including driver handles such as pig pen or rubber duck um suicide jockey is another one that came through uh what's your 20 you know just a bunch of other things like that that just helps clear the story of what exactly is going on um, is it cheesy undeniably that you it's it's a novelty song obviously yes but it was it was in that era of a lot of these spoken word songs because it's not really a sung song except the chorus is a little sung yeah yeah i would say but it was one of these songs where, especially in country music, they really told a story. Oh, yeah, they did. You know, and there was a lot of songs like Convoy that were done in that era. It, it makes me think of people like Jerry Reed. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yes. you know, and, I, I didn't even think to use that one. Eastbound and uh, down? down? Yeah, that, that would have been a good one, too. Damn it. But, you know, that's for episode two of Traveling there Songs. There we go. There we go. Now, the song itself is horribly enjoyable. Um, and it makes one think about driving down the interstate and possibly seeing a huge train of semis and kind of makes you think and wonder if they still help each other like that. Um, I'm sure they still use some of the slang. And I know from personal experience that sometimes as far as um, like if there's a passing semi or whatever, they'll flash the brights or the brakes or as a please or thank you or tell you if you're clear or not. Um, I've actually done that before, too, especially when a semi was passing me. And they did tap the brakes as a thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I always try to wait for that. And, you know. Though I don't drive a semi, which is probably a good thing because anything with more than two gears, I'm kind of lost. But like four wheels is enough for me. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's it's one of those songs that it kind of romanticizes truck driving. Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. As a career, especially when this song would have come out in the what 70s. Yep. It was it was still a huge job type thing. You know, it was a good job to have. Yeah, oh, it was. You know, but it's long hours you're away from your family and everything else um but it's still it still paid the bills yeah and if you had the gumption for it you can do that now the song itself came became popular enough that a few years later they made the movie based on the song which that i wasn't sure about i thought the song came because of the movie but it was the other way around the movie came because of the song oh okay yeah and i was not with, aware of that with chris christopherson singer from the highwayman and of his own right right yeah absolutely <laughs> being rubber duck and I remember I Netflixed this once, just just because. Because in, in college, uh, Convoy was one of the four songs. We had four guys that hung out. And one of the guys, this was like his favorite song. So okay. whenever we'd get drunk, we would listen to this song. And we all knew all the words for it, including all the slang and everything else. And because of which, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to watch the movie. Just for the hell of it. Is it any good? I've never seen it. It's entertaining. It okay. really is. I mean, it's 70s. 
I mean, it's 70s written all over it. I mean, if you could make uh, put the movie in a special collector case with bell bottoms on it, there you go. <laughs> so what do you got next? All right, so up next, I've got one that's uh, pretty straightforward, Leaving on a Jet Plane by John Denver. Okay. Now, a lot of people know this song by Peter, Paul, and Mary, mm-hmm. which is where it became more famous, but it was actually written and performed first by John Denver. It was written in 1966 and most famously recorded, like I said, by Peter, Paul, and Mary. The original title of the song was Babe, I Hate to Go, as featured on his 1966 studio album, John Denver Sings. But Denver's then-producer, Milt Akun, convinced him to change the title. turned out to be Peter, Paul, and Mary's biggest and final hit, becoming their only number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart in the United States. The song also spent three weeks atop the Easy Listening chart and was in was used in commercials for United Airlines in the late 1970s. The song also topped the charts in Canada and reached number two in both the UK singles chart and Irish single charts in February 1970. Here, let's listen to John's version of this. In 1969, John Denver recorded a version of the song for his debut solo album, Rhymes and Reasons, and re-recorded it in 1973 for John Denver's greatest hits. His version was featured in the end credits for of The Guard. Now, I'm a big fan of this song, uh, both versions, uh, the John Denver and the Peter, Paul, and Mary versions as well. Lou, what's your thoughts on the song? You know, I did not know about the other two. The main way, I mean, I've heard of the song before, but the main way I had exposure to this one was in the movie Armageddon. Okay. When it's by Chantelle, starts with a K, I don't know what the last name is or whatever, but she's on the soundtrack, and then, of course, the actors sing the song in the movie. And so that's where I became familiar with it. It's kind of a whiny song, to me, I, I just I guess it's just one of those where I only listen to it because it's there. This would definitely be a switch the station if I heard it was on. Okay, fair enough. I mean, I we enjoy... don't know how well it turned out when last time John Denyer was in a plane. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> Too soon? I wouldn't think so. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> you know, like I said, there's not a whole lot to say about this song. I enjoy it. I enjoy the Peter, Paul, and Mary version probably as much as the John Denver version. But then I like John Denver music. I don't not like John Denver. I enjoy his music. I don't not like John Denver. Exactly. I enjoy John Denver. Okay. There's a double negative. No, I enjoy John Denver. However, a little goes a long way. With the essential John Denver being two discs worth, no. No. I, I would... I make it a couple songs at Lee or go in from skip around to the ones I know, such as Thank God I'm a Country Boy. Uh, well, they, because they, the live version is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's it's a great song. But I am not a huge, huge fan. All right. Fair enough. What do you got for us? Next, what I have is Holiday Road by Lindsey Buckingham. Yes. Used in? Nash Lampoon's Vacation, all except for Christmas Vacation. They didn't use it in Christmas Vacation? Well, no, they didn't didn't go go anywhere. anywhere. That's right. Yeah, okay. They just stayed at home, but yeah. um, And everybody came to them. Exactly. No, this this song is here associated um, 100% because of association. Right. That was because of the Vacation movies. You've heard the song many, many times. In fact, even the reboot of Vacation with Ed Helms has this song in it. I have not seen that yet. However, it's done. the reboot does it by Zach Brown Band. 
That might be interesting, it's, actually. It's not that good. Oh, okay. Yeah, I checked it out already. The uh, song came out in 1983, and you usually hear it as the family truckster is going from one location to the other, transporting the Griswolds to their next, usually hilarious, mishap. So we'll take a little quick listen here. Now, the song itself is really short. It comes in at just over two minutes. Which, really? Yeah, it's super short. You know, and really, if you think about it, all you really hear is the chorus and a little bit of the verse. But right. there's really not a whole heck of a lot to it, so it's not a lot of substance. But in the short amount of time, you definitely get the feeling of being on vacation with, finger quotes, loved ones. <laughs> because, I love how you finger quote loved ones. Well, seriously, I mean, honestly, if you I, vacation was just on the other day. Okay. And... It does parody, but it does definitely tell you about families being stuck on a road trip. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, everything that happens to them is so over the top. But being a dad, when you're out on the road for a vacation, it can be some of the most stressful times you have with your family. I have made the joke before that I'm so glad vacation is over so I can go back to work and make life normal again. You know, and I think what a lot of part of it is, is now as being an adult, I understand this, but people who are passengers, being children, spouses, whatever, don't realize how much work goes into planning this stuff either. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm lucky that way. My wife usually does the planning. I just get in the car and drive to it. You're just a chauffeur. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. But there's a lot of planning, and I have become more active in the planning part of it because there was a few vacations where I didn't get to do a damn thing I wanted to do because I didn't put my two cents worth in well let's let's look at the time too i mean back in the time when vacation was which would have been well the song came out in 83 i'm guessing the vacation movies were mid 80s also yeah i think the first one was 84 it might have even been 83 okay the internet wasn't there no so it wasn't like you could do travelocity and book your hotel vacation buy your tickets and be done or without making long-distance phone calls, find out that Wally frickin' World is closed for for right. two weeks. You know, we have it so easy compared to how it was back then. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> just, I mean, look at look at part of the movie itself when all the credit cards, who they didn't keep them in the purse, they kept them in the luggage, which is retarded. Well, but a plot point that needed to happen. I get that, but come on, seriously. <laughs> you keep your purse and your wallet in the car. Right. But anyways... Moving on, it's just odd that everything comes through and like the fight that they had to do with, you know, I can't cash a check, but you can't take without a credit card, can't take a credit card because they don't have ID. Yeah, I mean, nowadays, all you do is look it up on your smartphone, you'll be done. Make a phone call, you'll be done. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sign of the times also, and this is the last thing I'll put in this one. If you remember the movie when they're planning the itinerary and they have a little family truckster on the Apple computer. Oh, yes. And then he's playing, like, Pac-Man with it, eating the trail, and then Audrey comes along and, like, shoots him with, like, a uh, asteroids vehicle. <laughs> yeah, it was funnier than hell. You know, and that's not too far off of how it used to be, though. Two words, Oregon Trail. You have died of dysentery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What you yeah, have you... I'm sorry, totally off topic, but I was at Target last night. They got a card game of it. They have a card game of Oregon Trail, which is on my to-buy list here really soon. They had it on Black Friday last year for, I want to say, $6.99. I think it's only like $11.99 anyway. It was half price. Yeah. But it was one of those where it's like, "Ah, do I want that or do I want John Wick? I picked up John Wick instead because Ah, John Wick's a damn good movie. Yeah. But moving on. Yes. 
So up next, I oh, have. And I'm sorry, if you get that, we have to play. Oh yeah, definitely. That's just kind of a given. Fair enough. All right, anyway, so up next, I have "Homeward Bound" is a song by American music duo Simon and Garfunkel from their third studio album, Paisley Sage Rosemary and Time. God, they were hippies. Oh, shit. Although it was recorded during the sessions for their second album, Sounds of Silence, and included on that album in the UK, produced by Bob Johnston, the song was released as a single on January 19th, 1966 by Columbia Records. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna diverge here for a second because I've got to ask you a question. All right. Have you noticed that back in the 50s and 60s, bands put out music at what we would consider breakneck speed? They would put out an album or two a year. Oh, yeah. Now, to get a band to put an album out every five years is like pulling teeth. Why do you think the change has happened? Well, we could be cynical and say because uh, people are getting lazy um, and possibly also the fact that, you know, they're getting paid as much as they are and they are trying to milk it, their contract for what it's worth. But on the other hand, too, back then, it was all about radio play and it was all about exposure. Where if you had, I'm, I'm going to use the Wonders from that thing you do because, you know, the mm-hmm. one-hit Wonders, they had to put out stuff really often because after a while you'd hear the song so many times you'd get sick of it, and then if you don't have another one out right away, then you get pushed to the wayside and forgotten about. The next best thing comes along. Whereas now with iTunes and with CDs being cheaper and media and everything else, they can put one out one every year, one every two years, one every three years. You're going to have your local, your your fan base and that fan base is going to like your stuff, and you're still going to be played on the radio for whatever, and, and you can iTunes songs if you want one more song or their new stuff or whatever. So back then, I, I honestly think it's exposure. Okay. I often wonder if it has to do with how overly produced music is today and how much time that takes. Oh, that could be too. As well as the internet. I mean, the internet obviously plays into that. Right. Anyway, back to the song. So Homeward Bound was the duo's second single, the follow-up to their enormously successful breakthrough hit, The Sound of Silence. It performed very well domestically, peaking at number five on the Billboard Hot 100, remaining on the charts for 12 weeks. Internationally, the song performed best in Canada, where it hit number two. It was also a top five hit in the Netherlands. Let's listen to a bit. When my pops escape at home, when my music's playing home, when my love lies waiting silently for me. So Homeward Bound was written after Simon returned to England in the spring of 1964. He had previously spent time in Essex, and he became a nightly fixture at the Railway Hotel in Brentwood beginning that April. He was reeling from his brief period in the Greenwich Village folk scene, as well as the recording of his first album with Art Garfunkel, Wednesday morning, 3 a.m., which he anticipated would be a failure. During this time, he met Kathy Chitty, who was working as a ticket taker at the club. The two hit it off instantly, but it became clear that Simon desired to perform in London, resulting in an emotional farewell. Following a performance in Liverpool, Simon was at Widnes Railway Station, waiting for the early morning milk train to London. He had been missing Chitty's company, and he began to write Homeward Bound on a scrap of paper. This is a song of longing, and I feel pain in it, and wonder if they really should have been singers always on the move. So what I mean by that is he had this connection to this woman. 
and it pained him to the point of a song, and we've talked about this in the past about songs, that if the pain is so great that it brings you to a song, should you really be doing this other thing? Should you? Maybe not. Are you going to? That all depends on contracts. That could depend on all kinds of stuff. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, there's when you get into that kind of a world, there's contracts, there's this, there's that, there's the next thing. But there's always ways out of them. Now, yeah. it might cost you money. Right. But there's always ways out of a contract. And sure. if there, somebody has a contract, if you're in a contract that is so binding that there's not a way to buy your way out of it, maybe you shouldn't have signed that contract in the first place. Truth. <laughs> you know, and you had mentioned, you know, writing the song. It moved him enough to write a song. Anybody who has had some form of significant life event, a heartbreak or whatever, has probably written sad poetry. Yeah, absolutely. It's just some people actually put it to music and, and produce it, which is what music. Paul Simon did. I mean, hell, I, I did something like that in the past. Okay. I mean, I think most people, and honestly, poetry is free burst. You can basically put any shit on paper and it's poetry. <laughs> you know? True. But Have same, you ever seen my poetry? <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, too, I mean, Simon and Garfunkel having the incredible talent they were, he was able to write the music for it, and, you know, it just, it give you it give you more... More feels. There you go. Yeah, you're making that, and I'm like, he's going to make me say it. Because yeah, I wasn't going to. <laughs> you see that? You see that? Those are special for you. Yeah, I'm number one. Gift wrapped. So, what do you got for us next? Next, we've got Route 66 by Chuck Berry. There you go. Now, in 1961, this song was released. This oldie is the epitome of a travel song. The singer gives advice to the listener about the best route to take when taking a westerly road trip. It was originally written by Bobby Troop and recorded by Nat King Cole in 1946. Really? That that soon? In 46. No I didn't realize it was that early. Which makes sense, though, because 66 would have been the main thoroughfare from, was it New York to L.A.? Something like that, yeah. I mean, it covered a good portion of the country. Um, the trip itself, again, written by Bobby Troop, was describing a trip from Pennsylvania to California while name-dropping cities en route and to the end of the line. We'll take a quick listen here. Get your kicks on Route 66. Well, it goes from St. Louis, Joplin, Missouri, Oklahoma City looks ooh, so pretty, you see. Amarillo, Gallup, New Mexico. Now, a little piece of trivia about this one, and this I came across, is that all the cities that are named in the song are in order from east to west except for one. And that is Winona, Arizona. Okay. For whatever reason, like one, it's just maybe because it rhymed perfectly or whatever the case was, but that is the only one from from St. Louis down to wherever. I don't know all the cities on there, but Winona is the only one that's out of the way. So that one's not on Route 66? It's on Route 66, but it's not in order. It's not in order. Okay, so you'd have had a backtrack. Right. Okay. And maybe, maybe it was based on a trip he took, and he did backtrack, or maybe... You know, he didn't take the time to take the atlas out. Yeah, that 1961 atlas. <laughs> but anyway, it's a great song. Um, you know, where do you get your kicks? Route, Route 66. 66. Absolutely. You know, and Route 66 is such a part of the history of this country. Americana. Yeah, it's Americana to the to the max. And even though it's not this huge thoroughfare anymore... You can go along Old Route 66, and there are still places that play to that. Oh, yeah. And they get – they make so much of the history of this thing mm -hmm. as being part of, you know, this is how you got from east to west. You know, there are 
There are restaurants that still sit on Route 66 that were there during the heyday. There okay. are, you know, there's so many different knickknack type places, touristy trap things. That, that's the best way to put it, touristy trap. It's like wall, wall drug, you know, like where the heck is wall drug type thing. Yeah, but, yeah. But this thing here, I mean, instead of taking the the fast lane, eight lane concrete highways from one end to the other, which will take you a third of the time. Right. You take your four lane, uh, either two lane or four lane Route 66 and just cruise. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I've never done it. That is one of those things that someday I would like to do. Is just, you know, go on a two-week vacation or whatever and just hit this classic piece of of road and just see what's there. Even if it's not from coast to coast, it's no. still would be just for a part of it, in fact. I mean, we, well, we live in Wisconsin. You go down south, you can just go south down to Missouri and you catch it and go from there or something. Yeah. You know, that would be, to me, that would be, like, super cool. It but then be. I'm a big old history nerd. You know, and... With the history of that itself, I, I will have to say, if that were something where I were to do, I would be filling up my phone or digital camera about four times over again taking pictures because there's be so much stuff to see along oh, the way. Oh, God, yeah. And I'm not a picture taker, but I bet you I would fill up my phone. Oh, easy. <laughs> the, 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 my phone, the cloud, a neighbor's cloud, you know, all kinds. <laughs> so next, I'm going to jump to a little David Bowie. How okay. about that? So Space Oddity is a song written and recorded by David Bowie. The song is about the launch of Major Tom, a fictional astronaut, and was released during a period of great interest in spaceflight. The United States Apollo 11 mission would launch five days later and would become the first manned moon landing another five days after that. The lyrics have also been seen to lampoon the British space program, which was, and still is, an unmanned project. Bowie would later revisit his Major Tom character in the songs Ashes to Ashes, Hollow Space Boy, and the music video for Black Star. Here's a bit for you to listen to. This is ground control to Major Tom. You've really made the grade. And the papers want to know whose shirt you wear. Space Oddity was David Bowie's first single to chart in the UK. It reached the top five on its initial release, and received the 1970 Ivor Novello Special Award for Originality. His second album, originally released as David Bowie in the UK, was renamed after the track for its 1972 re-release by RCA Records and became known by this name. In 1975, upon re-release, as part of a maxi single, the song became David Bowie's first UK number one single. In 2013, the song gained renewed popularity after it was covered by Canadian astronaut Chris Hattonfield, who performed the song while aboard the International Space Station, and therefore became the first music video shot in space. In January 2016, the song re-entered the singles charts around the world following Bowie's death, which included becoming Bowie's first single to top the French single charts. The song also ranked as third on iTunes on January 12, 2016. I think this is probably my favorite David Bowie song. I like the way the music carries you off to space. And then you're right there with Major Tom and you understand his fear and his misunderstanding that, or, or his understanding that he is not going to finish the mission. Yeah. And itself, uh, it's, it's a great Bowie song. I'm not, it's not my favorite of his. Okay. Fair enough. I mean, he's got a lot of good he's stuff. He's got a really good catalog. Yes. It's it's an entertaining song. It really just is. And I'm sorry when you were reading your history there, when you had mentioned British space program, my eyebrows went up and I was 
wondering when the hell this happened because right. in, and my, like it's, in my 40 years, I never knew there was one. Right. They do have one. I actually looked into this because I, I did the same thing when I was doing my research. I'm like, they have a they have a space program? And they do. And they launch about every 12 years or so. And they still have not put a man into space. Really? Right. So the quote, finger quotes again, backwards Russians right. have put animals and humans up in space and at the ISS. Yep. And the first world country British, who are all hoity-toity, have not. Correct. However, there have been British astronauts that have gone to space, just not in their own program. Oh, they piggybacked onto somebody else. Yeah, they like, piggybacked. Hey, um, can, from... can we can we just buy a ticket on yours because we can't figure <laughs> that shit out ourselves? Which is funny, considering the the agreement that the United States and Canada are United States and uh, the UK have together. Mm-hmm. Why would they not just say, hey, can we just tell us how to make one of those things? It could be the British being, well, motherfucker, we uh, we want to figure it out for ourselves. So, He's a stubborn um, bugger bastard. off. <laughs> yeah, piss off. We'll find it out ourselves. <laughs> so maybe by the time that we. I think I would get season tickets at Lambo before. <laughs> hey, I'm on the list. So your grandkids are going to have them. My kids are on the list. I put them on the days they were born. Okay. I put myself on the day Emma was born. Okay. So probably not in my lifetime, but they may get a chance at it. Well, but I mean, you still, you can see where I'm going with this. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So what do you got next? Next we have one of my favorite songs of all time. Okay. And this is Call Me the Breeze by Leonard Skinner. Great song. It it absolutely is. It was released in 1974, and as I mentioned, it is one of my all-time favorite Leonard Skinner songs. It starts off with a fun riff and a horn duo that just kind of gets into it. The song lyrically just moves on and describes someone who isn't tied down to anything and just wants to go from place to place with no attachments. You know, before we go any further, let's just take a quick little listen here. Now, the song itself is the perfect definition of a free spirit, to be sure. It's just... Yeah. It's just bouncing from here to there. It's... You're... As I mentioned before, you're just not tied down. I mean, I'm going to do it. I want to do it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. and It's that, like the ones that, who would just get in the car, you know, full tank of gas, go whichever direction the wind goes. Yeah. Now, it was originally written by J.J. Cale in 1972. Uh, gained a lot more attention when Leonard Skinner in 1974 released it, and then later Eric Clapton covered it, too. I don't think I've heard the Clapton cover, actually. I don't think I have, either. Um, because, again, too, I mean, I like the Skinner version so much that it's just one of those that's like... Why seek it out? But, but now I'm going but to But it's have Clapton. To. That being said, Skinner does cover Clapton also because if you recall, with Cream they did Crossroads. Right. And on I and my dad can probably confirm this or not. I think it's one more from the road. They're double live. They did a song by an old friend, which was Eric Clapton, and they covered Crossroads, which of course I first thought it was Skinner, but then come to find out it was Clapton. Clapton slash Cream. Right. We did that. What are your thoughts? I mean, I love this song. I don't know what your thoughts are. It's it's a good song. It's one of those songs, like you said, it just it embodies the free spirit, you know. It embodies people that just can get in a car with a full tank of gas and, and go. I am not one of those people. Okay. But I enjoy the song. I mean, 
you know, and it's Leonard Skinner. And, you know, Southern Rock, I have a very soft spot, big spot, soft spot for Southern Rock, which is funny because I'm about as northern as you get. <laughs> I was raised on it, so it has a very big soft spot for me, too. Right. And I wasn't. I, you know, I didn't hear of bands like Leonard Skinner or any of that stuff until I went to college. Okay. Because I grew up in a household of country, country and also gospel. So, you know, it wasn't something that I heard a lot of. I mean, in high school, I started to get out there and figure out, you know, there was other stuff out mm -hmm. there. But then for that portion of my life, I pretty much stuck to glam rock and then grunge. Okay. All right. You know, I really like grunge. But it was... It was Were you one of, one of those flannel shirt wearing guys? Oh, I love flannel shirts. I still do to this day. I would roast my ass off. I'm sorry. <laughs> it could be the middle of friggin' winter and I will not still wear a flannel shirt. Well, you know, some of us are hot and some of us are not. I guess I'm the not in this case. So anyway, you know, like I said, great song, Leonard Skinner. It's hard to go wrong with Leonard Skinner. Even their newer stuff. I mean, a lot of the original members and even surviving members after the plane crash in the 70s, I don't remember what year it was, Still is good stuff. I mean, yeah. they're even their vicious cycle, vicious circle or cycle, um, and what God and Guns I think is the most recent. Yeah, one. God and Guns. Yep. I love that CD. I, I Skinner Nation is a great song. Yeah, just, I mean it, it's not Van Zant. No. But still good, still great. It's not the original Van Zant, but I think it's one of the Van Zants because well, I think that, yeah, they're one of the brothers, and the, but the original lead singer was Robbie Van Zant. Uh, Ronnie. Ronnie Van Zant, right. and he passed away in the car, in the uh, auto accident. Plane crash. That's what I said. You said auto accident. Well, it's an automobile. A fly. It fell down. <laughs> it went boom. It was an accident. I don't <laughs> think they did it on purpose. But no, I think there's two Van Zants that are singing right now. There is, there's, I can't remember if it's Donnie and Johnny, I think, are the two. One of which is with uh, 38 Special. Okay. Which is another great yep. southern rock band. Yep. And then the other one is with Skinner. Okay, fair enough. I just, I couldn't tell you which is which, though, so... I don't have a clue. And on that note, what do you got next? I'm going back to space. So Rocket Man is a song composed composed by Elton John and Bernie Taupin and originally performed by John. The song echoes the theme of David Bowie's 1969 song Space Oddity. Both recordings were produced by Gus Dungeon, or Dudgeon, if anybody cares to know. But according to an account in Elizabeth Rosenthal's book, his song, The Musical Journey of Elton John, the song was inspired by Toppin's sighting of either a shooting star or a distant aeroplane. The account goes on to relate that the notion of astronauts no longer being perceived as heroes, but in fact as an everyday occupation, led them to the song's opening lines. She packed my bags last night pre-flight, zero hour, 9 a.m., and I'm going to be high as a kite by then. It is widely considered one of the greatest recordings in music history, and by many accounts, one of the most beloved songs ever recorded. Here, let's take a listen. Okay, you're laughing. I'm laughing because I wanted you to say I wanted you to say that in the Shatner way when you read that first line. <laughs> oh, she packed my bags last night. night Pre-flight, zero hour, nine a.m. <laughs> you have this on. 
healthy love of William Shatner. I wouldn't say unhealthy love, and it's not really a love. I just think he's funnier than hell. Okay, anyway. Um, to continue on, the song first appeared on John's 1972 album Honky Chateau and became a single hit, rising to number two in the UK and number six in the US. On October 21st, 2016, the song was certified silver by the British uh, Photographic Industry for sales of 200,000 digital downloads. Okay. The lyrics in the song, inspired by a short story, The Rocket Man, in The Illustrated Man by Ray Bradbury, was written by John's longtime collaborator, Bernie Taupin. Describe a Mars-bound astronaut mixed feelings at leaving his family in order to do his job. Musically, the song is a highly arranged ballad anchored by piano, with atmospheric texture added by synthesizer, played on the recording by engineer Dave Henschel, and processed slide guitar. It is also known for being the first song in John's catalog to feature what would become the signature backing vocal combination of his band at the time, D. Murray, Nigel Olson, and Davey Johnstone. So what's your take on this, Lou? It's a great song. It's, it's one of my top five Elton John songs. Um, would you agree with what was what I read here is that it's one of the most beloved songs ever recorded? Now, those aren't my words. Those are words that I found in an article. I think that would be a little bit of an overstatement. I think somebody had a little bit of a love for John when would, they were writing I, this one. I would think so. Don't get me wrong. It's a fantastic song. It's, it's a, a great it's song. One it's one of his best ones. It's probably in my top 20 songs of all times. I would agree with that. Um, one of the most beloved I'm going to have to disagree with. <laughs> I, are you a Nick Cage fan? I am a Nick Cage fan. Okay. The Rock was just on the other day. Okay. Remember towards the end of the movie when he's got the missile and he's like, are you a fan of Elton John? To that one guy's like, I don't like that honky crap. How about the song Rocket Man? Because that's you. You are the Rocket Man. Then he fires the missile. Through yes. The guy. Yes. That was <laughs> just on the other day. I'm like, oh God, Nick Cage, you got the one-liners almost as bad as Arnold does. Yeah. Especially in that, in that era of like that where he did, uh, he did The Rock, he did Con, Con Air. And Con Air is just, him, it's just a whole movie of one-liners. And bad accent. Well, yeah. I'm not, I can't even try to do it. And then there was Face Off, too. I have not seen Face Off. It's another one. It's him and John Travolta. It's a John Woo movie, I think. Yeah, it is. And, and the whole concept, to break it down quickly, is you've got a cop that wants to go undercover. Mm -hmm. And they have this new technology where they can transfer faces. So they cut the face off of Nick Cage, and they cut the face off of John Travolta, and they swap them. Mm -hmm. So now Nick Cage becomes the criminal, and John Travolta becomes the cop. Okay. And it gets really confusing, and I I love the movie. It doesn't hold up, not on the big screen. <laughs> so you mean new technology as opposed to the old technology when Hannibal Lecter did it? <laughs> right. <laughs> but the idea is, you know, and then of course things go weird and bad, and it's a whole concept of... Does does a, does the face make the difference or does the person make the difference kind of thing? Sure. But anyway, it's just it's another movie of just one-liners, mostly given by the quote-unquote Nick Cage character, but John Travolta as the Nick Cage character because they've swapped faces at this point. Okay, yeah. It's just it's 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 worth it's a watch. Worth watching. Okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'll have, to, I'll have to see if I can Netflix that one. There you go. All right. So what do you got for us next? All right, next we have another Southern Rock one. Okay, I like Southern Rock. The song Highway Song by Blackfoot. Okay. Now, as we mentioned, if you couldn't figure it out by now, I was raised on Southern Fried Classic Rock. The song released in 1979, it was off of their Strikes album, which 
while I love the music, the album cover features a hooded cobra with the the hood all spread out. Like, okay. It terrified me as a kid. Were, were the fangs out too in the no, hole? No, but I mean, it was the think about it, a, a vinyl. Yeah. Like the whole album cover was mostly dominated by this huge picture of the snake. So of course. I was terrified by it, but at the same time, I enjoyed it because of the music. Right. The song itself is a ballad about a guy who's on the road away from his significant other and missing them dearly. Not original, but at the same time, how they do it is how they do it. It worked out. And here's a little clip from that. It's not really hard enough to consider it a power ballad because it's still kind of a softer type right. song. However, it's a very strong outing that gained a little bit of pop success. The song itself, much like a lot of uh, Blackfoot and Molly Hatchet and other songs, they follow the same uh, formula. Formula. Thank you. It's got your softer part, and then you've got a little bit of a break, and then it breaks into faster guitar. Perfect example of that is like Freebird, how you've got the first slow part kind of builds up and then all of a sudden you go crazy with that sped up right yeah solo and it's just it's just an entertaining song it's it's a softer one it's nothing that's going to make you cry or make you like country fire or anything like that but it's just a good song as far as for traveling yeah i would agree it, it would work well on a on a cd of traveling music you know i know you're a big one for making like mixed cds and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff i used to do that when it was a tape it was really simple to do it you're, are you on crack? It was not simple as a tape. It was super simple. You had to hit record off the radio and hope that asshole DJ didn't start talking. <laughs> okay, there is that. <laughs> Actually, this is how I used to do it. Is I bought a CD player okay. early on when they were, God bless it, expensive. Oh, yeah. I remember those days. I remember I went to um, Camelot Music in the mall. <laughs> yep. I bought a Sony Walkman. Mm -hmm. I bought three CDs, and I dropped $120. <laughs> and the funny part about it was the original Sony Walkman sucked. If you so much as tapped the thing, it would skip. A disc mini. Yeah. I'm like a Walkman. Yeah, if, you, if your tape player skips, you got a shitty tape player. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it was... But yes, the original Dismas, I have one of those original ones. I mean, still? Oh yeah, it still works. I just plugged it in the other day. Oh wow. And it was one of those, you're exactly right, where I mean, if it's at a wrong angle, if you bump it, if you sneeze, if you fart, anything like that, it is going to skip and probably stop playing. Right. You so what a pristine disc and it's still going to act like you got scratches all over the place. Yeah. So what I did is I bought, a, a few weeks after I bought that initial, I bought a plug-in so I could plug speakers into it. Okay. All and right. I would record from the CDs onto a tape. Okay. So I didn't have to worry about the asshole DJ anymore. And and I had a set-top CD player that I got for a graduation. Okay. That it was plugged into an old stereo, one of those that the, the speakers would open out. Okay, yeah, yeah. And because it was run through as like auxiliary, I could play a CD and then hit play on the tape deck, and it would kind of run it straight through. So I would do it that way, not having to hold speakers up. And it worked, but it was still a pain in the ass because you got to pause it, put the next CD in, and so on and so forth. <laughs> it worked, and it's what we had to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, or, or hold up a tape 
tape player or tape recorder to the radio as it's playing. And... Yeah, but like you said, and, and I think DJs talked over music on purpose. Oh, just so, to screw with people. So that you couldn't really pirate mm-hmm. the music, you know? On that note, let's move to what you got for next. All right, so up next, I am going to drop a Beatles song. No way. I am, but I am going to point out that when we were trying to come up with traveling songs, I was having problems filling mine out, and you suggested this song to me. Oh, yeah. It's Back in the USSR by the Beatles. It is credited to the songwriting partnership of Lennon-McCartney, but written by Paul McCartney. The song opens the 1968 double-disc album, The White Album. The song opens and closes with the sounds of a jet aircraft flying overhead and refers to a dreadful flight back to the USSR from Miami Beach in the United States on board a BOAC aeroplane. Propelled throughout by McCartney's up-tempo piano playing and Harrison's lead guitar riffs, the lyrics tell of the singer's great happiness on returning to home, where the Ukraine girls really knock me out and the Moscow girls make me sing and shout and are invited to come keep your comrades warm. He also looks forward to hearing the sound of Balakas ringing out loud. Here, let's take a listen to this snippet. Paul McCartney wrote the song while the Beatles were in Rikesh, India, studying transcendental meditation. Same thing, right? Sure. (laughs) The title parodied Chuck Berry's Back in the USA, while the chorus and background vocals were a harmonious take on the Beach Boys' California Girls. Mike Love of the Beach Boys also attended the retreat in Rishikesh at the same time, and he has stated in interviews that in order to make the song sound more like a Beach Boys number, he encouraged McCartney to talk about the girls all around Russia, (laughs) the Ukraine, and Georgia in the lyrics. In 2013, Love noted, I was at the breakfast table when Paul McCartney came down with his acoustic guitar playing back in the USSR. I said, you ought to put something in it about all the girls around Russia. And he did. In his 1984 interview with Playboy, McCartney said, I wrote that as a kind of a Beach Boys parody, and Back in the USA was a Chuck Berry song, so it kind of took off from there. I just like the idea of Georgia girls and talking about places like the Ukraine as if they were in California, you know. It was also Hands Across the Water, which I'm still conscious of, because they like us out there, even though the bosses in the Kremlin may not. The kids from there do, and that to me is very important for the future of the race. Your thoughts, Lou? I enjoy the song. It's it's an entertaining. It doesn't strike me as a Beatles song. No, it's it's some of their later stuff. Which you know we talked about that prior, where certain things you'd attribute. I mean, he's got a definite voice, right? That you can tell who it is. But I wouldn't. I mean, I still consider it a Beatles song, but not a Beatles song, if that makes sense. Right. No, it it absolutely does. And it's entertaining. I just enjoy the song. It is. It's a lot of fun and. I enjoy the fact that when I first heard it and he's talking about the Georgia girls really knocking me out, I'm like, I'm thinking down south. <laughs> North of Florida. Yeah, you know, like the like the Georgia peaches, you know, kind of thing. And it's it's kind of one of those songs that they're having fun, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not so much a song of Russia's better than the United States or Russia's better than Britain or anything like that. You know, they they weren't it wasn't John saying he's bigger than God kind of thing. So, you know, it's just a lot of fun, and it seems to be something that 
you know, people really navigated or not navigated to, but uh, kind of felt felt like they could associate with. Yeah, that makes sense. So, all right, what do you got? Next, I have Ramblin' Man by the Allman Brothers. Okay. Ramblin' Man by the Allman Brothers came out in 1973. Much like Leonard Skinner's Call Me the Breeze, this song is about someone who just can't seem to stay rooted in one place at a time and really doesn't want to. As a listener, you can't really be sure if his wanderlust is due to the family past. He wound up on the wrong end of the gun, speaking about his father, or being born in the backseat of a Greyhound bus rolling down Highway 41. One of the thing is for sure, though, is that he's got the traveling bug in his system. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick listen. This song is an ode to the person he may be leaving in the future, kind of preparing her or him, I guess, let's not be judging, that it may be happening in the sometime future. But this is what this whole podcast is about. We're allowed to be judgy. Yeah, I'm judging you on your shitty music, and you're judging me on my shitty music. Okay, fair enough. But we're not judging that kind of thing, <laughs> to be fair. Well, true, but when you look at the era it was made in, I, I don't it think it's... It was for her. It yeah, was for a woman. woman yes. Um, and it was it's Southern Rock at its finest. I mean, the Allman Brothers themselves are pretty much the, uh, I would say, maybe the grandfather class of Southern Rock. Yeah, yeah, some of the originals, absolutely. And so, and again, too, I mean, this and, and Call Me the Breeze, I think, are two pretty much top hill songs that are all about moving on. Yeah. What do you think? I, I would have to agree with you. I think you've nailed this one pretty damn tight, honestly. Um, it, it's one of those songs. It's a great song, you know. And, yeah, he's talking about being born in the back of a bus. Uh, you know, I guess. Can you imagine being the bus driver when that shit's happening? No. <laughs> I mean, just I mean, because granted they got to focus on the wheel, but can you just imagine like you're driving along as the bus driver, you turn up like, what the fuck? Oh man! And there's some lady in the background. Ah! Who's gonna clean that shit up? <laughs> and you know, sometimes during birth, quite literally. Aha! Hua! And on that note, <laughs> All right. what do you got? My last one for today, I think, is one of the quintessential traveling songs oh i think i know where you're going with this on the road again is a song written and made famous by country music singer willie nelson hells yeah the song about life on tour came about when the executive producer of the film honeysuckle rose approached nelson about writing the song for the film's soundtrack on the road again became nelson's ninth country and western number one hit overall in november 1980 and became one of nelson's most recognizable tunes in addition, the song reached number 20 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 7 on the Adult Contemporary chart in his biggest pop hit to that time and won him a Grammy Award for Best Country Song a year later. Here, let's listen. On the road again Just can't wait to get on the road again The life I love is making music with my friends And I can't wait to get on the road again in 1980, Nelson starred on his first leading role in the film Honeysuckle Rose, which he also named his boss. About an aging musician who fails to achieve national fame and has an ice cream fight with his family, who also are part of his band that travels throughout the United States while playing in different venues. Shortly after singing, signing the contract, Nelson was approached during a flight by the executive producers 
of the movie who requested him to write a song about life on the road to use as the theme song. Nelson quickly wrote the song on a barf bag. The tune featured a train beat. What's your thoughts on this song, Lou? It's, it is quintessential travel song. It really is. Every road music CD or anything I've ever seen has this song on it. And um, I think it has to. You know, and I've seen a lot of like the Harley Davidson Motorcycle Road song CDs or even just compilation CDs, and this has to be on there in one shape or, or Well, form. here's the funny thing. So I was talking to my wife about this episode. Okay. And I said, we're doing an episode on travel songs. And the first thing out of her mouth is, are you using On the Road again? Awesome. And I'm like, well, as a matter of fact, we are. <laughs> and she's like, good, because it has to be there. Really? You know, and this is my wife who listens to the podcast, I think more because I'm on it than, you know, the music behind it. Mm -hmm. But when she's, you know, it's that sort of a song that when you say it to an average person who's not a big music person, mm -hmm. and you say... We're doing this type of a musical podcast, and she goes, it has to have this song. You know what? That's the strongest opinion about this I've ever I've heard from her. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead, Lou. You know, round us off. We're going to finish this one off on a little bit of a harder note, and that's going to be I Can't Drive 55 by Sammy Hagar. Fuck you. No, I knew that was coming, but <laughs> and I'm going to cut that. You don't have to. <laughs> no, um, and I know your disdain. There's a good word, disdain. Yeah, I have a disdain for Sammy, for but Sammy, as as we've discussed... It's not for it's him with Van Halen that you really don't care for, correct. but not on his own. So correct. Sammy's solo stuff, Sammy's solo stuff. Say that five times fast. How about no? <laughs> Anyways, is is okay. Anyways, this seminal driving song is about speed. Nothing more than speed. Sammy gave us this song about driving and getting tagged by the 5-0 for going too fast and telling the copper judge that he can't, he just can't, do the legal limit. What are you laughing about? <laughs> because you are the whitest boy ever to say, driving fast and getting tagged by the PK or whatever you said. By the 5-0. By the 5-0. I, I freely admit, I am very pale. <laughs> Absolutely. And it just struck me as funny. Which is why I didn't say he got hit by the popo. Although that was pretty damn funny either way. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> let's just take a quick listen on this one. Now, anyone who's driven on the open interstate or highway before knows the feeling of wanting to floor it. You know, I mean, it's it's just how it is, you know. And then being blocked by either a speed limit or by someone going too slow that you can't pass is enough to pay, pull your goddamn hair out. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and then I'll admit that when the song comes on the radio, I'm really, really hard-pressed to keep it legal. I have found myself doing the same thing. That song comes on and all of a sudden you look down and you're like, 80, 90. Yep, exactly. You know, and I just remember there was a there was a racing game that I used to play on Xbox that we could import our own music for the for the playlist, right? Okay. So of course this song made it on there, and in this game you actually got points for crashing in and getting other people out of by basically pit maneuvering. Okay. So I'm in Iowa driving on 35, which you remember from when you were over there. Oh yeah. And when 35 comes into town, before they did all the road construction, it was backed up all the way to Ankeny. And so I'm coming up to this thing. I'm running late for work and everything else. And my first thought when the song was on, I was like, I wonder if I could get away with this and how much my insurance would go up. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, get that out of your head. No. 
but exactly right. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect driving song and it definitely gets you moving. And you definitely, if you don't have cruise control, I would highly recommend putting that on before the song comes on because you're not going to be thinking it all of a sudden you'll be floored. Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those songs. It just kind of gets into your blood and you're just like, we're doing this. Oh yeah. And, and you're driving. And have you ever driven over a hundred miles an hour? Yes. So have I. In fact, I scared the hell out of a car salesman once. And that's a whole different story I'll tell you another time. Right. But uh, it, it's one of these things where it just gets in your blood and you just kind of get hyped up by it. There's songs like that. There's several songs. It's an adrenaline song. Yes, absolutely. And that is another topic we could talk about is songs that build the adrenaline in you, that just kind of make you, you know, raise the fist and, and, and bob the head kind of thing. I think we alluded to something like that before. Yeah, but that would absolutely work out. Yeah. You know, it's one of these songs, and as far as I'm concerned, it is probably my favorite Sammy Hagar song. I really like this song, and then I had a period in my life where I found out it was Sammy Hagar, and I'm like, fuck that guy. I know, you shake your head, and I agree with you, but it was just one of those hates, because he made David Lee Roth leave. I can understand that, all right. And even though he probably had nothing to do with David leaving, that was the... Scapegoat. That was the, the, the thing in my head. Okay, yeah, he was the reason. He was the Yoko to it. Yeah, he was the Yoko to the John, or Yoko to the Beatles. It was just one of those things where, and, you know, there's nothing behind it. The guy is actually pretty damn talented. And I have been trying, I haven't told you this yet, but I've been trying to listen to some Van Halen with him as the lead to kind of try to figure out if it was really just some stupid thing I built up in my head, or if I actually just don't like him in, in Van Halen. You're trying to make me cry, aren't you? I am. I'm trying to put tears in those pretty baby blues you got there. When the hell did I get blue eyes? They look blue from here. Oh, that's because they changed when I'm in, in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Go on. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, it's one of those things. So, I think we're going to wrap this one up. Good idea. And, uh, so, you know, if you guys are out there and you're thinking, God, Lou and Chad, they're awesome. Aren't we awesome? Incredibly awesome. All right. You think we're awesome and you Freaking want to tell Freaking amazing, us? even. Okay, now he's just overselling. But anyway, you want to tell I us about... I have been watching a lot of wrestling lately. There you go. <laughs> and you want to tell us about, you know, you want to tell us how great we are. You want to tell us how much we suck and that we should never record another episode. But of course, you're probably not going to say that because if you're on episode 15 and you're finally figuring this out, you're, you're going to be back. Learner. You're going to be back for episode 16. Just to see if we've taken your advice. Right. So anyway, as I was saying, you can uh, you can find us in two different ways. You can drop us an email. In all honesty, you know, we, we talk, we blather, but we are actually very appreciative that you guys listen to us. And you can find us uh, by email at uh, musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at Musically Challenge webpage. It's, and you can send messages and you yep, can follow and, you, and check out all the previous podcasts. If this is your first time tuning in, welcome. Or you can keep it going. Absolutely. And with that being said, we thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.